welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as they discuss the journey they've had with their own voice, as well as light bulb moments, stories, and personal wisdoms. Vocal Freedom is a bi-weekly podcast raising awareness about vocal health and well-being from members of the voice community. Welcome listeners. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you're all well. My guest this week is singing teacher Scott Harrison. Scott is a very interesting person to listen to. I would go as far as to say it's important to listen to him and his views. As much like me, he wants to sometimes have the difficult conversations, ultimately to bring about social justice and equality within the arts. I champion his passion on this subject and others and hope you enjoy learning about where he's coming from, how the journey is going and where he holds value in the power of his voice to speak out for those who are not being heard. So a warm welcome, Scott. Perhaps you could start by explaining to our listeners how you got involved in the world of voice, where you've come from and more about your experience and journey so far. Absolutely. So um, I grew up in a working class family and background in Scotland um, in the west coast um, singing was not really something that people there did okay um, but it was something I always kind of loved and I kind of got into it because I mean I've always really been into theatre but um, I was quite badly bullied at primary school to the point where I had to move schools and um, when I moved schools I was very aware because I must have only been about nine years old or something or ten years old I realized that I had to try and make friends really quickly because I didn't know any of the people in the school where I was at because it was so far away from where I lived. And um, so they were doing the school musical, they were doing Oliver and everybody in the class was auditioning for it. Um, so I thought I'd better go and audition for that as well then so that I can kind of, you know, make friends while I'm there. <laughs> and I uh, ended up being in the school musical and it kind of like sparked this love of, of uh, I mean, I've always loved music, but singing particularly. Yeah. Um, I then trained at Knightswood, uh, which is the kind of official musical theatre school of Scotland, as you were. It's part of the Dance School of Scotland. And I studied musical theatre there for two years before I uh, went to GSA and studied musical theatre there for three years and did my undergraduate degree there. Um, and then I worked as a professional performer Um for many many years i worked um on big major musicals on national tours um i worked all over the world i worked for disney in tokyo and i've worked for um i was in the original uh irish cast of elegies for angels punks and raging queens in belfast and um i've i've kind of worked all over the place doing lots of different interesting things i've been very lucky to have a very eclectic career shall we say yeah um in that I have done everything from kind of TV films to uh, TV series to um, musicals to plays, uh, BBC proms and classical music as well. Um, and uh, yeah, but I've always kind of been a teacher. So I think when I was about 12, I remember saying to my music teacher, I really want to be a music teacher. And the piece of advice he had was, he says, could you teach a class full of yourself? And I said, yeah, I think so. And he said, you'll be fine then. You'll be a good teacher. Um, it's 
only really in later life that I realized that it's not a class full of myself, um, <laughs> especially when you're teaching 12 year olds. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, but yeah, so I I um, but I've always been really interested in teaching. Teaching was always was kind of the first thing I thought I was probably going to do. And um, even when I was in third year of drama school, they said, oh, you know, uh, Scott's going to be the kind of voice captain for the show because he's really interested in doing vocal warm ups. And um, I was kind of uh, I was I was actually on the first ever um, vocal process course with Gillian and Jeremy um, a way back when I was about 14 or 15, because they actually had a kind of believe it or not, they had a, like a kid's course. Ah throughout the course of the four or five days in Glasgow because they held it at the uh, at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland as it was then the Royal um, Academy of Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama and um, yeah so I've kind of I met them when I was very young and I just kind of always looked up to everything that they did and um, so I kind of uh, I was kept in touch with Gillian and Jeremy when I moved to London um, to study musical theatre and even when I was 18 and stuff I was kind of taking part in any kind of courses I could get my hands on and you know doing the still level one and two and um, doing the vocal process work and just kind of like just trying to get my hands on anything that people would let me do at mm. 18 um, and I was also very lucky um, just before I moved down as well that I was helping out with a, like a local amateur dramatics company when I was 16 and they asked me to run it when I was 17 and it was a charity run organization and um, we went from having an, uh, about 12 kids I think we had in total up to about 60 kids over the course of 12 months wow um, yeah and it was it was kids from um, underprivileged backgrounds and from um, low income areas and so I've always been I've always been um very passionate about trying to kind of uh, allow as many people to sing as possible um, and that's kind of how it's always gone and then um, I was again very lucky I keep saying lucky because I think it is luck um, when I was 21 um, I was off on my first tour straight out of drama school and then I got um, asked when I came straight off of the tour I finished the tour and I was asked to go and teach at GSA um, just as a cover teacher because that was obviously where I studied and then I was also offered a job at Mount View as well so I was kind of the youngest teacher there at that point it's amazing um yeah and so I've kind of been in higher education ever since yeah um and I've I currently teach at Trinity Lab and Conservatoire mm -hmm. um the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland um, and I also am the, the Senior Musical Theatre Consultant at Associated Studios and we've just validated our new MA that we're starting in September, which is exciting. Ah. So, um, so yeah, so uh, that's kind of like what I do day to day is I do lots of that. Um, I still keep fairly freelance though. So even though I do lots of work in lots of these uh, colleges, because um, I love to travel mm. um, and I love working with singers from different uh, places around the world and seeing how different training is dependent on culture and dependent on um, access to training, which was obviously a big problem where I came from. Um, and I, I try to go, obviously, pandemic means this year will not be a goer, but uh, uh, I travel out to Singapore once a year and I, I tend to travel around that part of Asia teaching. Um, like I said, I lived in I lived in Tokyo for a while and taught out there as well as performed. And uh, I run courses all over Central Europe as well. So the, the main course I run is 
based in Holland in the Netherlands, in the south of the Netherlands, actually, um, which has been running 10 years now. Wow. um, Yeah, so we we do it. It's a week-long intensive, and at the end of the week, everybody sits an LCM musical theatre exam. It's a bit mad. So they do an exam in a week. Wow. Right up until LLCM diploma. <laughs> We're a little bit crazy. We we, we kind of, uh, obviously we tell them that they need to be practising in advance and stuff. They don't come yeah. in cold, but but um, everybody kind of does an exam in a week. Um, and we do that once a year. And so... That's so exciting. Um, we've, yeah, we've, we've had people now obviously do their... ALCM diploma after having first came to us and doing their grade one when we first started the course, which is really, oh. really exciting because, you know, when, when I used to teach younger people, it was it was very interesting that, um, you know, you very rarely saw somebody from grade one right the way through to something like the ALCM because, mm. of course, they would go to high school or they would only come in in high school and they would already have done a couple of grades or you know so you only ever see them at one side of the picture but actually we've had quite a few of them go all the way from the beginning that's right amazing yeah so we've had a lovely thank you so much that that was a great idea you know sort of hearing how you started and went into education um what about your relationship with your voice I mean do you feel like you're in a place now where you've sort of achieved vocal freedom for yourself can you go off and sing whatever you want to um where are you in your journey um, that's a, an interesting question that I seem to revisit more and more as I get older and hopefully wiser. <laughs> um, I, a couple of years ago, actually suffered um, from quite bad MTD. Ah. Um, and I was I was still teaching full time. And my range shrunk to just about less than an octave. Gosh. And it, yeah, and it took quite extensive osteopathy to kind of help me out. And it, and it was all uh, stress related. I think I was overworking and just not looking after myself and that kind of thing. Um, but actually, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because I really feel like it gave me the opportunity to pay attention to myself and look at look at the bigger picture of what I give as a singing teacher and what I look like as a person in that picture rather than just a student mm-hmm. and um I started to kind of like take my own training more seriously than I had done since um, I was full-time performing and um and so I feel like now I'm in a better place of vocal freedom than certainly I was, uh, you know, 2015, 2016. Um, however, I think it always changes. And I think I think that my voice is so intrinsically linked with who I am as a person and what I believe and how I see the world that, that depending on what I... I'm striving towards in that particular moment will kind of like change how I feel about how free my voice is Mm -hmm. and I think the word freedom is quite an interesting word as it is anyway because you know we spend so much time putting the voice in a certain place but then trying to collate that with the idea of freedom that that actually I don't think I really understood freedom or really what that meant to my voice until I was sitting on the side of the table as a singing teacher until I was trying to explore that with others. I don't think I found that as a singer at all um, until much, much later on. I 
have a bit of a, a kind of me getting on my soapbox moment often when I when I kind of um, suggest to people that we have a bit of a problem in our industry where we almost encourage the students to believe that they're fully fledged singers by the time they leave three years of drama training mm. or fully fledged dancers or fully fledged actors and and I think that is dishonest to ourselves and dishonest to them because actually what I have found in terms of vocal freedom in terms of being able to sing things that I would never have otherwise have sung or just having the confidence to sound bad or mm. you know all of the things that come with that I, I really feel like it's 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 really important to kind of let students see that actually all we do is is we just if we let go of the if we let go of the ego of who we are as teachers and who we were or are as performers, then what we are giving them is the ability to continue to use the tools rather than the importance of the tools themselves. And I think certainly a lot of the lessons that I learned at drama school, I didn't really learn until I was in my thirties and, and kind of like thinking back on all those moments when, when my teacher, Kathy, or when I was at Knightswood, I was being taught by Graeme Dickey and, uh, or Gillian or any of these other people that have influenced me. Like, you know, they might've said, they probably said something that I kind of nodded and smiled and thought I completely wholeheartedly believed, but wasn't really able to embody or really understand in my own voice and my own way until much much later on or until I was trying to describe it to somebody else or try and get somebody else to embody it in their way um, and I think I take great joy in that journey and I think that's the other thing as well I don't think that particularly in the musical theatre industry you can have a sense of freedom when you're 21 years old and you're desperate for a job. You, yeah. can't, you can't enjoy your art in the way that I can now that I'm on the other side of it. Absolutely. Um, and I think that, that enjoyment is probably the right word. Um, I am very lucky to live with a musical director, Ben Papworth. And uh, so I have kind of like a pianist at my beck and call. And I, I do play quite well myself, but there's there's just something wonderful about about somebody playing piano and you just being able to sing along and not worrying about the addition that's coming up and not worrying about the fact that you're going to be performing for thousands of people and although I loved the experience of doing those things I think freedom for me has been finding the pleasure in yeah. in being able to just be my own artist even if that's just around the piano and in, in, in the living room with with my housemate that's um, lovely yeah. So what do you find um, most valuable in caring for your own voice these days? Um, rest. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and sleep and, uh, and diet is a big one. Um, this is the, the second podcast I've been on. Um, I, I was asked to do a podcast about body image ah. um, with, my, with my housemate and we were talking about it and about how... Um, I, when I was 21, I was the skinniest person you've ever met in your entire life. And, you know, I'd eat several pizzas in one go. And wow. Kind of like, be completely fine. That's not the case anymore. Uh -huh. um, but um, as as particularly for males, I think, it, I think um, metabolism, you know, has a lot to do with the way that your, your body and your um your mood and your kind of like you and, and indeed your voice and your personality and all these other things kind of connect with one another um and particularly 
I found it quite difficult towards the end of my 20s going into my 30s to to bring all those things together I think that was obviously when I when I um, ended up with some with some issues um, albeit thankfully quite mild um, and really really taking the opportunity to look after yourself is really important and I think that's one of the things that I do as a teacher like and try and pass on to students all the time is that they often feel that the next time they're going to sing, whether it be in a performance class at drama school, whether it be an assessment for the end of year, whether it be their first West End edition, whether it be their 20 millionth West End edition, or whether it be their press night, or whether it be like, you know, seven months into into the tour that they've already been on for 12 years or, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever stage it is that they're at. Singers suffer from a condition where they believe that the next performance they're going to perform is the most important performance of their lives. And I certainly used to feel like that all the time. And I think one of the things that I use to really care for myself and my voice now is to kind of contextualize it and realize that actually what I would love would be to still be able to sing in my 60s 70s and 80s you know like that that ability to still be able to get that buzz that i feel in that kind of the, that endorphin release that i feel whenever i whenever i kind of engage with music with using my voice and and kind of being able to pass that on to students to be like look at the end of the day if you're not meant to be on stage that night because you have laryngitis stop taking vocal zones and just go to bed yeah or you know like and, and kind of like really taking that opportunity to recontextualize what my voice means to me has made me care for it better yes i think the kind of the rather flippant way perhaps that i used to kind of engage with my voice as a young man um you know luckily i i have quite a um robust instrument and so therefore it can have always worked for me but I know that that's not always true. Um, and I know that it certainly wouldn't be true nowadays if I was to be as flippant as I was when I, when I was kind of 21, 22, 23. Um, and I, so I think for me, the, the thing that, that really helps me look after it is, is contextualizing the fact that I want to kind of keep it for a long period of time. And I want to stay healthy and I want to feel good when I sing. And I don't feel good if I'm standing in front of, you know, thousands of people feeling really sick, knowing that the top note's not going to come out unless I scream at the top of my voice. Yeah, So definitely. I think it's all part of it. So um, yeah. is there anything Completely. that you've that you've learned now or in the years since you've been um, coaching and working with other voices that you wished you'd learned sooner when you were a sort of pre drama school youngster what what are the real light bulb moments that you've had that you that you wish you could have learned earlier really not to get hung up on methodology mm -hmm. or any technique for that matter um to work with the voice that i have rather than the voice that i think i had or the voice that i wished i had or the voice we <laughs> um, think we're supposed to think... sound like when we sing that song yeah, yeah. exactly yes Good, yeah. yes exactly <laughs> that exactly that yeah um um i think uh, yeah i think that that's a really a really important thing that that it's for me i because because i'm quite a sciencey kind of guy mm. um I was always kind of obsessed oh yeah but where does the idea come from and okay but like I want to know everything about you know why I'm being asked to do that technique and why I need to move my larynx in that way or engage my breath in that way or use my articulation in that way and and I think 
although that's been incredibly helpful in my overall life, I think the the way in which I let it control my choices was probably to my detriment when I was younger and um, freeing people up to kind of make choices based on their creative expression and their kind of like artistic integrity is something I feel really, really, really passionate about. And um, I really feel like, in fact, it's something we're talking about today. So I was teaching the teachers that I teach um, on a Sunday about um, monomythic story structure and comparative mythology and how if we understand the contexts of where where a song is in 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 the in the hero's journey then we can make better choices simply from that which we actually already know lots about inherently because we've seen a million movies and we've read a million books and we've seen a million shows on stage and and how we can influence ourselves much more um somatically perhaps or yeah. much more holistically or just much more in, in, in a kind of in a more healthy way rather than kind of frustrating over the small stuff yeah definitely. Um, and I think one of the one of the yeah one of the things and like you said about about teaching young professionals and people who want to go into drama school the the devil is in the detail but um focusing on the right details is important yeah and that's certainly something that I haven't discovered until much later on in my life and until I started teaching full time and learn and learn to allow them to make their own mistakes even if they're mistakes you know because you made them yourself and yeah. I think that like um those are the moments I think back on from being a young singer those moments when my teachers and the people that influenced me allowed me to make the mistake they didn't they didn't kind of like spoil the surprise for me for certain <laughs> things you know that that actually Actually, I, I have learned much more. I have much more tacit knowledge over certain things because I I kind of was given the freedom to, to not get it right first time. Absolutely. Um, what voices inspire you and who could you never tire of listening to? So who really brings you joy? Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Oh, so many, so <laughs> many. David Phelps okay. is just such an inspiring voice. You know, I, I came for the technique and I stayed for the artistry is kind of how I feel about him. You know, like, yeah. you know, as, as, a, as a singer, as a young singer, hearing that voice and kind of going, oh, my God, he can do everything and he can sing as high as possible and as low as possible. And he can sing so many different styles and he can sing kind of operatically. And now he's belting out rock and and, and just the versatility of what, of what the instrument could do was what really kind of connected me to him as a singer. But what makes me listen to him all these years later is his desire to communicate something that he really truly believes in. Um, I am not religious at all. I'm, I'm, I'm a humanist or, um, yeah, probably that's probably the best way to describe me. But I absolutely have such respect for for the message that he's trying to send with his music you know and as as a singing teacher as i constantly try to strive for my students to understand what it is to, to sing truthfully um to see somebody that really genuinely can only sing from a place of truth mm. is something that is inspiring and amazing and um just just wonderful to have in the world so I really, I really love, I really love his voice. Norm Lewis is my musical theatre idol. 
okay. as, a, for, as, as a, the musical theatre male idol anyway. His voice is just smooth as butter. It really, really is. And again, another incredibly expressive artist, but the kind of subtlety with which he's able to kind of use his voice is just, to me, perfection. And that resonance and that tone that he can just apply to anything. Um, and uh, stagey moment, um, I, I have actually met him and his speaking voice is just as beautiful as his singing voice. Oh, and wow. it's, just, it's just an absolute joy to just kind of like hear this man open his mouth and express anything. Yes. He could read a shopping list and I would listen to it <laughs> for hours on end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Leontine Price. Yes. Uh, it's my favourite opera singer of all time. My favourite opera singer of all time. Again, 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 I think I, I, I engage with I engage with people that really have something to say with their voices. Yeah. Um, because if you really have something to say, then you often say it well. And, and so I feel like I feel like you can't really separate those things out. Um, I actually have this on a keychain somewhere that a student made for me because I say it so often. But I have a very simple definition for technique, and that's technique is the ability to make choices to tell a story. And so for me, voices that really speak to me are those that really, really inhabit the story that they're trying to tell, whether that is a story about their faith or whether that is a story from the point of view of a character in an opera or a musical or whatever um, and I feel like I feel like you know often it's said that that back in the day you know Maria Callas was the actor out of the two of them I I don't think that that's necessarily fair because when you watch Leontine Price perform every single utterance mm. is just so full of heart and so full of 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 desire to to kind of make her point clear and 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 again utterly inspiring voice that's really um, wonderful i mean i could literally go on for days but i would say <laughs> that those those are probably my top three i think david phelps is incredibly interesting as an artist to me because um he is at his best when he's doing his christian music mm. so i have seen him in concert where he's where oh, he's wow. performed nesim dorma and bring him home and you know all the kind of like tenor classics yeah and then in amongst that, obviously done a lot of his own material because he writes a lot of his own songs and kind of collaborates and designs a lot of the, the solo work that he does for himself. And so my advice would be, if anybody really wants to hear David Phelps at his best, to listen to the songs that he's written himself, listen to his Christian music, any of it. Yeah. All of it's just as good as the rest. For for Norm Lewis, I can I can deliver you directly to a track which is just stunning is well in fact again all of his tracks are stunning he he released he released an album um called this is the life i think the album's called um i think it was his first album perhaps okay. i could be wrong of a collection of different songs um and uh there's some there's some real real crackers on that but if you want to hear a bass baritone singing a top b with or b flat or whatever it is you know with complete ease then listen to him sing something like a I go the distance from Hercules or something like that. Yeah. But the song that really got me into listening to Norm Lewis was um, from um, the kind of live concert album of William Finn's songs. I can't, honestly can't remember what the album's called, but Norm Lewis sings a song called Anytime. And it's from the musical Elegies by William Finn. Ah. And uh, and it, he, he did an arrangement of that for that concert with William Finn on piano. And it is just 
the most beautiful song ever. Um, and with Leontine Price, there's a video of her singing some Verdi, mm -hmm. La Forza del, del Destino. And it's just her in concert singing um, this wonderful aria. And it just is so delicious um, and a really good place to start if you've never experienced her voice before oh she gives incredible. you it all she gives you the very top she gives you the bottom she gives you the drama she gives you the float she gives you everything that you want and stuff that you didn't even realize you needed <laughs> to hear when she sings that aria it was a few weeks ago wasn't it and you you posted this thing and i read it and i was like oh my god i'm so on the same page as you right now because i see this too and i don't know if you yeah. want to talk about any of these, th these things that get your goat as a teacher but i just thought if you know we could raise awareness here couldn't we yeah yeah absolutely I, I i'm so happy to um i'm kind of known as being kind of the outspoken teacher anyway <laughs> so this is this is quite comfortable territory for me cool um i'm a big believer in social justice and equality and I, I i really feel like um you know, with everything that's going on in the world, we need to look after each other first and foremost. Um, particularly in the musical theatre sphere, we've seen that um, there is quite a lot of problems, um, but musical theatre is not the only one. Of course, the opera world um, is, has been full of this for hundreds of years. And um, the, uh, yeah, the, the pop world kind of like has its own thing. Um, but there's even news this this past week which is concerning this issue and that's the 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 issue of um of the representation of poc and and bame singers and uh, actors and artists and um um i think it goes beyond that though because mm -hmm. i think there's there's something to be said about um representation of lgbtq themes in uh in, in song and in on stage and in stories um and particularly representation for um people who are genderqueer and uh trans and non-binary who are often very understood even within the lgbt community I want to preface this by saying that the reason why I talk in quite kind of harsh terms about all of this is because I feel like or we're not allowing a platform for everybody's stories to be told, then everybody is missing out, not just people of colour, not just LGBTQ people. It's we're all missing out on the richness of, of, of global culture and and actually speaking for more equality in that particular view is is something that is essential to my students particularly those students of color who feel um that they are being underrepresented um in many different ways which i'm more than happy to speak about um but also um for for all of us that that actually should be learning about about the world in, in much greater terms that theater should be educational as well as as well as entertaining and that that doesn't always mean kind of like overtly teaching lessons but just like living by those lessons to kind of just encourage others to kind of uh question what is important to them and and what the right what, what the difference is between right and wrong perhaps for the for them and, and and their lives is and the post that i that, that i know that you're referring to is the one where i was asking about 
um, particularly about repertoire choices and the suitability of repertoire choices um, for singers um, with regards to kind of uh, their ethnic and racial background um, and whether or not we should be allowing um, students who have inherent white privilege because like you and myself they are they are ethnically white um whether they should whether those are the right people to be telling black stories and 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 be inhabiting that particular space um and i think the reason why um i feel strongly about this is because although we don't necessarily feel in our industry like we are holding people of color back the inherent bias that we place on theater and actually even the fact that lessons cost quite a bit of money and the the kind of the socioeconomic situation around about it does mean that we especially at drama school level see less applicants of mm. color than we do white applicants i feel like if we encourage more um black and ethnic minority or people of colour artists to come forward and, and inhabit their own stories and inhabit the stories of of others, then then that's going to be the thing that's going to encourage um, more people and we'll get more representation within the industry. I'm part of a, a kind of working group at the moment that's kind of talking about a very specific um, situation um, in, in a very specific school and we're looking at ways to kind of like help that situation and um, a story that stuck out to me from the initial conversation was a, 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 a female who um, comes from um, uh, an Indian heritage background um, but was brought up um, by white parents and so was brought up in a very white part of Scotland and um, uh, had um, lots of experiences in kind of white schools but actually still had some kind of diverse mix within the school that 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 she could associate with um and she wanted to apply for a performing arts school and her mum took her along to see it and she said to her mum afterwards she says i don't see anybody that looks like me on that stage so i don't want to apply and i feel if we are encouraging you know white students whether they be young or old to inhabit those black stories i feel like that may and may further that disencouragement that these young people of color feel when actually we should be building them up and we should be encouraging them and going look there is material here that's for you that 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 speaks to you and speaks of your experiences and experiences of people of your culture and and your your background and your ethnicity and and, 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 and your heritage and your ancestral heritage and um please please come and join us yeah. um and i feel like unless we unless we really shout that loud then we're going to be losing out on so much talent and i mean if you look at the two of the three people so two-thirds of the people that i have said that i absolutely mm. adore as the best singers in the world are people of color and 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 if we think about potentially how many incredible voices we've already lost, mm. you know, to, to kind of the, the lack of encouragement that perhaps we, that perhaps we are complicit in by just ignoring the problem. And so I, I really, I, I really try my best, which 
is probably not good enough, but I will keep trying harder and I'll keep learning and I'll keep growing because I believe that we all need to, to, to try and find a way to consistently encourage um, people, whether they be from disadvantaged backgrounds or whether they be from different backgrounds or cultures, to engage in the act of singing and performing and being artists because we all have stories to tell and, and the day that we can all tell them equally and have representation within those stories is the day that that we will you know we will we will actually probably have a better society for yes it. you have to hope so don't you absolutely absolutely i'm so i'm so along for the journey and I, I i you are doing great work because you're talking about it you're using your voice you're spreading your message yeah and that's what i'm all about as well and i feel very thank compelled you. to um to thank you because it's important that you know if nobody talks about these things and then nothing changes Absolutely. And, uh, you know, yeah, you're right. There, there yeah. does need to be a turning of the tables with all of this. Absolutely. You know, and, and I, I've, I've had two students who, who came to me and said, you know, we, we've never had a teacher that looks like us. And we don't feel like we are being kind of like properly represented because so many people, so many of the white teachers that we have don't even want to discuss our ethnicity they want to discuss our race with us because they f they're worried about um you know insulting us or being offensive um but in some ways it's offensive to ignore yeah. the fact that that i am who i am and you are <laughs> who you are and 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 actually that's why they came to me because i was the only teacher that was kind of openly kind of you know getting them to to think about that in terms of like how that will either positively or negatively impact their lives going forward as artists and kind of like the specific concerns that they feel that they might need to look into or you know and as a white man you know i have ridiculous amounts of privilege and i can't speak to those experiences a lot of the time but I can, I, I've been, I've been connecting these students up, and I, I'm continuing, hopefully, going to be creating something to connect these students up in a much bigger way to other artists who can speak to that experience. And I feel like, I feel like it's really important that as a, as a white man of privilege, that I, that I do my bit, um, to use my voice to make sure that 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 these things are getting done because if if i'm if i'm in the prime position to be listened to then i want to make sure that what people are hearing is speaking out for those that are not being listened to that's that's certainly what i feel anyway oh i'm 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 championing you that's brilliant thank you absolutely. so much absolutely um and i very much feel like and we may be coming from slightly um well we we deal with different people don't we so yeah. i i think this isn't um as much of an issue but i also but i do find it an issue if it comes to repertoire sometimes i think there's a very simple rule that i kind of like tell all my students that one of the smallest casting brackets in the world are characters who are white because actually there's millions of characters out there only a very small proportion of them have to be white that's very true and, that, and I think that's the thing that we need to remember. And I think that, yes, there are loads of roles out there that are specifically for people who are Hispanic or are black or who are Asian or whatever, whatever kind of like however you want to divide it, um, that shouldn't be played by people who are not speaking from that experience. There are very, very few roles that are very specifically white. So yeah. like, for instance, one of them in musical theatre would be... Um, 
like Amber Von T- the Von Tussles in Hairspray, so yes. both the mother and the the daughter have to be white, and and Tracy probably has to be white as well because yeah. she is allowed on the show, and so so when you've got a situation like that, you do absolutely have characters that 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 have to be in order to make the story make sense, but. Um, I think we need to be encouraging casting directors as well. This isn't this isn't a a, a thing about teachers. It's about it's about the whole industry, mm. and encouraging um, encouraging casting directors to to be much broader minded about it as well. Definitely, um, and and that actually lip service is not enough. And saying oh, but we we you know, if if the if a person that was in a wheelchair is the most um, talented person, then we'll cast them in a show. Then why haven't you? Because I'm pretty sure. That, that there has been an opportunity where there's been somebody with some kind of disability or some kind of difference about them mm. that has been the most talented person in the room, but you've still chosen to go the other way. And and which which is just the way it goes, you know, but but like it's time, I think, for us to to really embolden our students as well, embolden our singers to 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 realize that they're the ones to, to change That's things for the better. Um, and and I really I really believe that is an ethos of mine. Um, Me too. Yeah. Amazing. Who's getting it right then? I mean, are we, are we, do, how do you feel about like Lima Miranda and Hamilton and the way yeah. that that cast works? That is that getting it right? Yeah, I, I I think I think what Lynn has done has been to speak to his experience first as a writer, and then expand that experience out so that he includes his friends and the people around about him mm. you know um so if you look at something like in the heights that really spoke to his experience and his upbringing yes and then hamilton really spoke to the experience of all of those people that he cast in that show and their collective experience as as you know as as non-white americans yes and 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 what it felt to be a non-white american and what what history felt like to them and 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 what what's been amazing about lynn mama miranda's work is that he's really spoken to white youth yeah through these stories so he's he's literally taught like a whole generation of white youths and my young white students about oppression and about you know about about issues that they otherwise would would have kind of like oh that's it's slightly uncomfortable for us to talk about that so we're not going to we're not going to talk about that you know like which was the way that I was certainly brought up and not necessarily by my parents but even just down to things like history you know Mm. like we you know we learn about world war one and world war two we don't learn about the colonization of the British Empire across the world and, <laughs> and the effects that that had, and we don't learn about slavery, and we don't, you know, so so kind of like it's, you know, teachers could say that it's because we don't have enough time, but you know, um, that, <laughs> you know, important. but I think Lima Miranda has made time to actually teach, you know, I've got twelve-year-old students that come into me and kind of like can talk very coherently and very concisely about these issues and and can and can put them in ways that they really that really understand and are very accurate, and that's been done because of musical theatre. I know, I know? love that. That's the, that's the side of it where it's educational as well as being entertaining. And as yeah. long as there are writers out there doing that, um, I think that's going to really help turn the tide. I hope absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I I really um um the, I'm I'm not going to mention anybody by name. I'm just going to say the whole team of uh, the British Black Theatre Awards um have done an incredible job over the past couple of years that they've been running to really highlight um 
black theatre and and black people in theatre in the United Kingdom. And I think that that's a really incredible organisation and the work that they've done has been really wonderful. I think I think they're a real mover and shaker because they've they've really made people realise that, that it's time to really kind of look at this way more comprehensively than perhaps has been looked at before. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, and, this uh, this year is. I mean, even in the even since lockdown, hasn't it? There's just been so yeah. much more, and people are, are sitting back. And I just hope people listen as well, because sometimes people have got a lot to say with their voices, but they don't yeah. always become an active listener. And I think that's where yes. I wanted to bring the podcast in. Let's help people to just yeah. sit back with a cuppa and listen. And actually, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and and like. And, and, and realise that it's okay to completely disagree with everything I've just said, you know, and, and but as long as you open up that conversation but and you're willing to listen to the other side, I think that that's how we move forward, um, which is, is the same. But, like, uh, one thing I do want to highlight, actually, as a singing teacher, and it's something that I've been thinking about very recently, has been how technique and even the way that we talk about the voice can often be kind of, like, inaccurate because it's been slightly whitewashed. So... Um, when I started teaching in Asia, when I was very lucky to be asked to go to Singapore, um, you know, one of the terms that's used in drama schools, because a lot of the drama schools are very stillian based in the United Kingdom, you know, it's very, very easy to get people into kind of like modal register into the kind of their M1 space by just going, OK, use a bit of speech quality. But you can't use that when people are not from the west those kind of techniques are actually very much and those triggers are very much techniques for a white american population um, and i'm not that's not to say that people who are not of that can't connect with it but if you say to somebody from from singapore okay use your speech quality they're not going to be speaking in the same speech quality that you expect from somebody from east london and 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 actually and and kind of understanding those differences is actually i think is actually going to improve our understanding of how we can teach technique to students as well and that's not necessarily about doing loads of studies about how the voice necessarily works any better it's actually about doing cultural studies and about how culture actually influences the about how culture influences technique and and, and the approach to kind of using the voice as well which i think is really important absolutely brilliant thank you so so You're much so <laughs> um so we've just about come to the hour so i just wondered if there's anything you'd like to share with our listeners that you may have coming up that might be of interest or your social medias and all that sort of thing where can people find you if they want to come learn more yeah okay so people can learn more by coming to my website so i am www.scottharrisonvoice.com and that's scott with two t's and harrison with two r's and one it. s um and uh you can find me on uh on twitter i think it's sh underscore vocal coach uh yeah you can also find me on facebook i'm sure if you look hard enough but there's no <laughs> real way to kind of like link you to that and um, but you can find me on my website um um something that i've got coming up I, I i like i said i run lots of teacher development courses there and at the minute um i i've been doing it essentially for the young teachers that have been doing the teacher training course with me out in holland but that's kind of it's kind of got a bit out of hand and kind of expanded to loads of other people but i'm kind of doing it it's only 10 pounds um a class and and basically we've had loads of really interesting people we do it every two weeks i'm taking a couple of weeks off at the minute because i i'm doing some other things but um but to keep an eye out for that so we've had um, uh, uh, the wonderful uh, Jesse De Silva, who's assistant professor at Berkeley College in the United States, come and speak to our students about inclusion 
Um, we've had uh, the wonderful Kathy Taylor-Jones come and talk to us about psychology of singing, singing and psychology of performance and psychology of teaching. We've got loads of other wonderful guests coming very soon as well, as well as me um, talking and doing my little bit as well. And we just kind of cover all the kind of different areas of things that perhaps you wouldn't necessarily cover if you went and did the CVT course or you did a course on bel canto classical yeah. singing or whatever like you know we're, we're wanting to fill the gaps so we're going to be we're going to be doing a class on looking at reflective practitionership and and how to be a better reflective practitioner and using um, multiple intelligence theory to kind of like embolden your use of technique and all that kind of stuff so so that's one of the things i'm doing and um, i'm also about to launch um a little youtube channel as well um Ooh. which you can find about on my website as well it's called practice makes almost perfect and um, it's going to be kind of singing based, but it's not really. It's really going to be for anybody that wants to practice or learn a skill of any description. Because the, the act of practicing is a technique in itself that we often forget about. And so I want to create loads of videos where I'll be giving people loads of kind of like hints and tips as to kind of like the best way to kind of do this. I'm also going to be interviewing some of the best practicers in the world um, from loads of different fields, which um, uh, is going to be super exciting. Um, and that's coming hopefully in the next couple of weeks when I get around to, to doing it. So keep awesome. a lookout for that as well. But you can find everything on my website. That's amazing, Scott. Thank you so, so much. I'm definitely going to keep up with everything you're up to. And oh, you. Might, you might find me booking on one of your Sundays before too long. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for doing this. This, this honestly, and please don't cut this out of the podcast. I really want people to to hear that, that, that this, is, um, this is so needed and so appreciated by everybody in the community. And thank you so much for everything that oh. you're doing. So thank you. Thank you for joining me on the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast. Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests, link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.